today we begin a new series that we'll carry on through the end of the year. We're going to look at the letter that John wrote to the church. We don't know specifically to the people to whom he wrote it, but the content is, is generally applicable to churches and in all times and all ages and very profitable. It's, it's a book that in many ways is very simple and very easy to understand. It's not it's not overly difficult. You don't have to follow some of the detailed arguments that some, Paul may use as he speaks of some things which are difficult to understand, as the Apostle Peter said. And, but we have in this passage so, so much clear, light, clear statements of, of who we are, what we're supposed to be, what God has called us to be. And uh, we want to look at that and kind of dive into that and use it to help us think about how can we live better and more in fellowship with God and man, to have that joyful fellowship that God calls us to. We have so many things that we, we think about and we, we are engaged in, and I want you to think of this letter as sort of a way of God calling us out to, to say that in the midst of that, our priority is to, to be in fellowship with God and his people and that's what we're going to explore today. I'm going to show you that theme here in the beginning. John, 1 John 1, 1 through 4, as we have it in our text, is sort of a, uh, an introduction, uh, a prologue to what he's going to say in the rest of the book. And so let's read that passage, ask the Lord's blessing upon it, and then we'll consider it together. So let's listen carefully to God's holy and inspired word. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is God's Word. Let's pray. O oh Lord, we praise You that You are so gracious to want us to, in fellowship with You. Though we have sinned against You, though we have turned aside, yet Your grace is greater than our sin and has power to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, we confess that we are, we are a sinful people in need of your grace, and we give you praise and thanks that you have called us to fellowship with you. And I pray that as we look at this passage, you would help us to see in a new way the greatness of what you've called us to, that we might make it more a part of our lives, and that we might have a clearer understanding of what it means to live in fellowship with you, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and with your church. And so, Lord, we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who with you, Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit is praised and glorified forever and ever. Amen. Humans are created to have fellowship with each other. And if you're in isolation, it's not long before you have that strong desire to be connected. It's a very rare person who can even live in isolation for a long period of time. And I think that this, this past year and a half has taught us that as well as any lesson we could ever learn as so many of us had to go in isolation or even if we had just our families, it's still, we, we're not able to see people. I know people who hadn't seen grandparents or grandchildren 
um, the, for a long period of time. And um, we remember that how important it is to, to be in fellowship with one another. You know, sometimes it's something we can take for granted, just the fact that we're made to connect with other people. But then you, you lose it for a while, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, this is something that I really need. Now, the, the thing is, too, that we're made not simply for fellowship uh, and able to have just like touches with each other in the sense of connections through phone or email or text message. That Those things are good, but we're made for face-to-face fellowship. And it's interesting John wrote three letters, and the, the, the second that we have in our scriptures, and the second and third letter, he says to them, I, I've, I've written you briefly to tell you a few things, but I don't want to speak to you with pen and ink, but face-to-face. And that's what we need is that face-to-face fellowship. Now, what John proclaimed to us, though, is that he actually had that face-to-face fellowship with Jesus Christ himself. That's what he proclaims to them. He says in verse 1, we're telling you about the Jesus that we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, and our hands have touched. In other words, they were able to, to sit down with him. They were able to touch him, to hug him, to kiss him to sit at the table with him, to recline at the table with him. And um, as John did at the Last Supper. And he was telling us about someone that they had seen with their eyes like any other human being, like we would be here together today, just fellowshipping with each other, face to face, being able to sit down at the table, see each other right across, touch each other, uh, hear each other, and so on. That's what Jesus what John had experienced with Jesus. And that's what the other disciples had experienced as well. But what what he wanted to tell them is, though we have seen him, we have touched him, we have heard him, we've looked at him face to face, yet he's something far more than that. And listen to how he describes him. He says, he was the one from the beginning. He's the one That we proclaim, He's the Word of life, and this life appeared, and we have seen it and testify it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and appeared to us. And so he says that this human being, whom we looked at and touched and heard, was one who was not who didn't just begin to exist when he came into this world and when he when he when we saw him. He had actually been there from all eternity. He had been there in the beginning with the Father. And that when he came as a human being, he was, he was not beginning to exist. He was changing his manner of existing so that he added to himself a human nature that we could experience. But he had been there long before. And he uses two words here to describe how they thought of Jesus. Two words. The word and the life. And I want us to consider each of those briefly. The word, he, said, he calls him the word of life. And when he says that life appeared, he's saying that he is the word. He is the one who is the word. And you, can, you heard this in our, in our first chapter today, or in our, our call to worship today from John 1, 1 through 18. 
that it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was, what, was God, and then eventually says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I would encourage you to take a look at that a little more carefully as we, as uh, John 1, 1 through 18, but look at, look at the first letter of John and compare it to the gospel according to John, the account that John gives to G- of Jesus' life. So the, this word, the word, was used a lot in the ancient world by the philosophers and by thinkers of the day. And they, they said the word is the ideas in the mind of God. It's the pattern of creation, and it's something in which we all participate to some degree, that we have the spark of the word within us as they would describe it. And you can also see that, that many of the, the Jewish thinkers of that day also took that, and they said, there's something with God that we call the word, and you can see that in the beginning of Genesis 1, in that God spoke the word, He spoke the world into existence. He spoke and it came to be. That was the word. And so when the early Christians were looking for a way to describe and explain who Jesus is, was, and is to the people of their day, they used this word, the word or logos. And so it describes Jesus as the one who is distinct from the Father, but yet was with the Father from all eternity and is the one through whom the world is created. The second word that he uses is life. The, the word that he uses is life. And, we, and he actually not only says that, that uh, he has life or he gives life, but that he is life. The life appeared, he says in verse 2. And so Jesus is the life. And again, go back to John chapter 1. He says, the word was life. He was the light of all men. We're also going to encounter that word here. And he is the life because he is the source of all life. He created all things. He sustains all things by his power. Everything that we have is from him because he holds it up. And he's also the one that restores us. But we also should see that it's not just the mere existence that we're talking about, but also a quality of life, namely a life that is lived to its fullest. As Jesus said, I have come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. And the idea here is what we're talking about in this series. What is the abundant life? It is joyful fellowship with God and man. That's what he wants to bring about. He also calls it the eternal life. When we look at the word eternal life, we may think about living forever. And While that's included, it's not necessarily the main idea because humans are going to live forever. They're going to have an existence. They have an immortal soul, and one day they will be resurrected in their bodies, either to everlasting life or everlasting condemnation. So eternal life in the Bible often means a quality of life. It does go on forever, but it's about fellowship with the Father and the Son, and by extension, with other human beings as well. As Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 3, to his Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's about a fellowship with God and man. That's what Jesus brings, is this fellowship and restoration to the fullness of life that we call eternal life. He is the life, 
and he is the source of all life, and he is the one in whom we live and find abundant life. Now, what we see then is that there is one that is far greater than we could imagine. He is the life, he's the word, and he becomes a human being in time. Now, in, G- in John's day, this idea that a God or some sort of divine being would become a human was really not that strange. Actually, they believed that many uh, humans were divine and they would worship them as, as divine. So when he would say that, this wouldn't be like something that would totally strike them as, as weird. You can see this when in Acts chapter 14, when, the, when, when, he goes, when Paul and Barnabas go to uh, one of the, the cities of Asia Minor, they think, well, here, this is just Zeus and Hermes. The gods come down to us. That's just kind of the way they thought. Now, you might say in the Jewish world, it might have been more surprising that one who is divine would become a human because, of course, they believed there was only one God. But on the other hand, if you read the Old Testament, you will see that God did appear in human form. He appeared in the burning bush. He appeared as a messenger, as the angel of the Lord. And so the idea that, that God would come in some sort of human form wasn't that out of the ordinary for them. And indeed, you can see even the idea that there would be one God, but yet distinct persons within God is also present in the Old Testament as well. Because he said, let us make man in our image. Let us do this or that. And in Exodus chapter 23, you'll see that the Father, Jehovah, speaks of the angel of the Lord as one who is worshipped and obeyed as God, even though he's a distinct person. And so God was preparing them in a way, through all these things, for what he was going to reveal through Jesus. But now, in the modern world, the idea that the eternal God became a human being is definitely something that's a bit strange to people's ears. And we've got to recognize that that's what we're dealing with. But yet, we can't throw it aside because it's, it's the foundation of our faith. It is our hope. And the evidence for the truth of it is the same as it was back then. That people saw and heard and touched Jesus in a way that convinced them that he was not a mere man, but was the eternal God become human being. And particularly in the fact that he said he was God and then he proved it by the resurrection in a way that is verifiable in terms of historical evidence. Remember our friend Yitzhak, who gave his testimony this this. Uh, summary, a friend from Mexico, and he was not believing in the Lord. But then he decided to look into it, and he decided to look at the evidence, and he started with looking at who Jesus was, and he looked at the evidence for the resurrection and convinced him that what Jesus was, who he said he was, because it is the report of the eyewitnesses, and it can do the same for us. And so we have every reason to believe that the eternal word, the life, became a human being. Now, why did he become a human being? Why do we proclaim the fact that God became man? Is it just an interesting fact? Is it just something to sit out there? No, it has a purpose. And we see that very clearly. And this is, this is proclaimed by John. We see it in verse 3. What he says. 
We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that, this is why, you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So the purpose of knowing this fact that God has become man is so that we might have joyful fellowship with God and human beings. Now you will notice as you read this letter that John actually says at several points, I write this to you for this reason. He gives, he, he says, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. And so there are many reasons that he gives, but I think this is the central one. That we would have fellowship with God and man. Now some people think that the, the main purpose is what he says in 1 John 5.13. You can look at that if you want with me. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you may have eternal life. In other words, that you can be completely sure that you're saved, that you have that, that you know God. But we have to ask ourselves, well, why, what's the purpose of knowing that we have eternal life? Why would we want to know that? Well, look at verse 14. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. In other words, we want to know that we have fellowship with God so that we can live in that fellowship, which includes asking him for the things that we need, anything that we need, and knowing that he hears us. So I think that that's the subordinate, so that's a subordinate goal. We want to know that we have the eternal life so that we can live in fellowship with the Father. That's the goal. Now, when we think about Let's think for a second about living in fellowship with God. Well, what does that mean? Now, we know for, to a degree what it means to live in fellowship with our fellow human beings. When you think about the, the people that are around you, you know, what does it mean that we live in fellowship together? That we, that we talk to one another? That we ask each other how we're doing? That if we're in trouble, that we, that we help each other? That uh, we have fun together? That we eat together? And so on. That we, we take an interest in one another. And so it's easy to see what fellowship is when we have people here present with us, right? But what about with God himself, whom we can't see with, with, our, with our eyes? And you think about this, think about this from John's perspective. He had had that type of fellowship with Jesus that you and I are going to have and are having today. Face to face, talking to each other, shaking hands, giving hugs, and so on. We're, he, he had that with Jesus but now, Jesus is no longer there as in his human nature. His human nature is now in heaven um, with the Father. And so how do you have fellowship with someone who's not present there? Now, one of the things we see is that, is that one of the ways we have fellowship with God is by having fellowship with one another. And notice how he describes this. He doesn't, he doesn't actually say, first and foremost, that our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. I mean, he could have said it that way. There's nothing wrong with saying that. But I want you to note the way he describes this fellowship. Look very, listen very carefully. He says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. With us, human beings. 
And then he goes on to say, and our fellowship was the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is we connect with one another, and then we're also connected in a community with the Father and the Son. And that's one of the key points John is going to make throughout this letter. That we cannot divorce our relationship with God from how we live with one another. We cannot divorce our relationship with God from how we treat one another, from how we live with one another. Listen to how he says it very pointedly um, in 1 John. He says, 4 verse, 19, 4 verse 20, he says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And so that's something we need to take to heart, that God doesn't, God doesn't say, well, you have your relationship with me, and then whatever you do to people, that doesn't matter. No problem. They're connected. And you can see this from the very beginning with what John is saying here. Okay? And... It's interesting that he says here, he uses the word fellowship, but that's how we have it translated. It's a, it's a very broad term in the original language. But I like the, the word fellowship because, you know, you can say I'm in community with people, and, you know, do you really connect with them? But if you say I'm in fellowship with them, it denotes that you actually talk to them, you get together with them, you have an interest in them. That's what, that's what God is calling us to. But... So there's, that's one side of it, that we have fellowship with human beings, and that connects us with the Lord. But we also have fellowship with God himself. And what does that actually look like? Well, that's what we're going to look at in the rest of this book. We're going to talk about like nine different ways that John describes how we have fellowship with God. What does it mean on a day-to-day basis to say we live in fellowship with the triune God? But let me just mention five things just to get you thinking about it. First, by experiencing, meditating on, and relying on the love of God. Second, by experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. God is not only outside us. He is inside us. We live in fellowship with God by experiencing the power of the Spirit of God working within us. Third, by asking Him to provide everything we need for body and soul. Fourth, by having affection for God and keeping his commandments. Fifth, by confessing our sins and seeking God's forgiveness and grace when we fail and when we sin. That's, the, that's kind of the idea. That's, I'm giving you a little taste of what we're going to talk about, and we're going to delve into that much more deeply with the goal that at, by the end of this, we'll have a much clearer understanding of what it would look like for us to live in fellowship with the Father and the Son and his people on a day-to-day basis. But let me just make, add one more point here about this fellowship. Because uh, look at verse 4. We write this to make our joy complete. Now some of you in your Bibles may have, we write this to make your joy complete. And I was going to go into a detailed explanation of why that is different. But uh, I'm going to refer you to the blog post where I wrote this all out. And if you want to talk about it with me, go ahead. For now, uh, uh, I'd be happy to discuss it with you. But let's just take it as, as we have it here but to make our joy complete, which I think, is, I think is correct because 
John is saying here that I want to see you have this fellowship so that our joy would be complete. And what he means by that, I think, is fleshed out by what he says in the next two letters. If you go to 2 John 1-2, he says... Um, Well, that's not it. Ah, verse 4. Sorry. 2 John 1, 4. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. So he's saying, I'm really happy when I see you walking in the truth. And then, and then 1 John 1 and uh, 3 John, he says the same thing. Verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So here's an important point about this. When we think about fellowship with the Father and the Son, it should be our heart not only to think about our own fellowship with God, but about other people as well. That it should be our joy and delight to see other people walking in the truth. So let me just challenge you in that way to think about who are the people, and let's say, let's say outside your nuclear family, because we're probably all concerned about our nuclear family. Who are the people outside your nuclear family that you're concerned about, that you're praying for, that you want to see come into that fellowship or experience it more fully? I encourage you just to think about that and, and always have kind of a person or two that you're thinking about, that you're praying for. And that's how we can live out this truth. Now let me just conclude by summing up what we've said and why we've said it. We proclaim to you today what John proclaimed. This amazing and astonishing fact that the Word, the eternal God, has become a human being. That is so wonderful, such a wondrous mystery, as we sang about earlier. But the goal of that is so that you and I can have fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and with his people in great joy. And so I hope that you would walk away from this just having a little more wonder at that fact. That the God of this universe took an interest in you even though you had actually not only did not deserve it but positively deserved the opposite. He has desired to have you in fellowship with him. And that is why he has gone to the great lengths of becoming a human being so that you might enjoy that joyful fellowship with God and man. What a wondrous thing. And now as we look ahead, we want to consider, well, what does that mean? If, when Jesus brings that about, what is that going to look like in our lives? And so let's pray together and let's seek the Lord as we look at this passage that we will go through this letter together And we'll have a much greater understanding of what it means to live in that joyful fellowship with God and man. And not just know it, but be able to live it out on a day-to-day basis. So that we can truly have that joy that God wants us to have as we fellowship with him and with one another. Amen.